Hey you. Yes, you. Thanks for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. My name is David Benjamin. I'm your host and the founder of HealthyWildAndFree.com. If you're like me, you understand that health, the mind-body-spirit-heart connection, and living a green, eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle are some of the most valuable and life-enhancing lessons that we can learn and pass on to our children to live happy and abundant lives. That's why this podcast was created, to help you grow in these areas. If you aren't already subscribed to the newsletter, go to HealthyWildAndFree.com, click the box at the top right-hand corner to get a free copy of our latest ebook, and you will be subscribed to be notified about future podcasts. Thanks for subscribing and tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Today I have a guest who's going to be talking about energy tapping, which is a form of uh, basically, uh, well, I'll let him explain that, but it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a new form of therapy that has really kind of been around for thousands of years, but has kind of recently been resurrected uh, in, a, in kind of the West in uh, kind of a new light. So uh, today the, the guest on the show is Fred Gallo. He's a clinical psychologist, a therapist, consultant, researcher, author, and international trainer. He has published eight books, numerous journalist, uh, journal articles, book chapters, and training manuals. Some of his books are Energy Psychology, Energy Tapping, Energy Tapping for Trauma, The Neurophysics of Human Behavior, amongst others. Since 1980, he has been training professionals on various clinical issues and therapeutic approaches. He has presented throughout the United States, Canada, Europe, and parts of the Pacific Rim in Africa. He received his BA from, um, I don't know if I'm going to get this right, DeQuane University, uh, his MA from the University of Dayton, and his PhD from the University of Pittsburgh. He has been on the faculty of Penn State University and has also worked in the fields of corrections, mental retardation, child welfare, chemical dependency, and hospital psychology. In addition to consulting to several mental health agencies, he maintains a private practice. Dr. Gallo is a member of the American Psychological Association, the Pennsylvania Psychological Association, and the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology. He is a diplomat of the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology. And uh, I'm going to bring quite, quite a biography. I'm going to bring him on the call right now. Fred, are you there? Yes. Hi, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to join us here on the podcast. We really appreciate yeah, it. I, I appreciate the opportunity. So I, w- I wanted to start the interview like I start all of my interviews and ask you the question, what kind of sparked your interest into the kind of uh, holistic health, holistic alternative therapy space? Well, actually I've been interested in uh, different different approaches to helping people for a long, long time, probably, you know, since I began, oh, geez, college. I uh, I was interested in philosophy at that time and, and also psychology and and uh, uh, started off as a uh, really studying philosophy and then went into psychology. I, I, uh, I've explored different, like, alternative approaches to psychotherapy. You know, there's standard approaches, which... Or uh, approaches like psychoanalysis and cognitive therapy and uh, and so on, and I've I've practiced many of those over the years. But uh, somewhere back in oh geez, I'm revealing my age here, probably in the late 70s, 
I became interested in something called neurolinguistic programming, and I, I studied that with the founders, uh, Richard Bandler and John Grinder and their associates. And I, I found it to be a, a you know a very different approach to uh, treating people that would often work quite rapidly uh, compared to other approaches. You know, some approaches you just work with hoping that people will get better as you relate to them and reflect back uh, things about what's going on with them, whatever they have to tell you. But uh, this approach took a, a very... Uh, uh, active approach, a very directive approach, where I would take people through certain techniques that that helped. But um, they even, you know, they took time, but um, you know, certainly not as much time as the traditional approaches. And then, uh, you know, th- this back in like 1992, I was getting kind of bored with the things I was doing with people. I had a private practice, and you know, and I was uh, consulting to hospitals and so on, and had taught in the university, and I came across the work of uh, Dr. Roger Callahan, who just uh, passed uh, this past month, and uh, uh, he was, uh, I believe, 85 at the time, uh, whenever he died here just recently. But uh, Dr. Callahan was doing a very odd approach to therapy, and uh, where he would have people bring to mind different problems whether it be a phobia, a specific phobia, or a trauma, or feelings of depression, anxiety, and he would have them tap, uh, addiction problems too, by the way, and he would have them tap with their fingers at different locations on their body. And um, it would resolve the problem fairly quickly. I mean, sometimes within a matter of a few minutes, which was unheard of in the field. And... uh, you know, I I was sort of dumbfounded by it, and, I, and so anyway, I I got in touch with him, and he and I had you know, developed a nice relationship. I spent time with him. He was out in Indian Wells, California, at the time, and I'm in uh, north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, so you know, I would fly out there at times and spend time with him, <clears throat> and I learned learned his approach, and uh, became. You know, very involved with it. I, I started to explore not only what he was doing, but some of the sources uh, where his work came from. I, and I discovered that it had roots in acupuncture and acupressure, because the places that we were tapping were uh, acupuncture meridian points, and uh, which also correlate with nerves and, and so on. So, you know, there's a, certainly a lot of debate in the field as to why why the approach works, whether it's stimulating nerves or meridians. I think it does them both. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, I studied other people. Like there's uh, some of his sources were a couple chiropractors, uh, George Goodhart, uh, who had developed a field called applied kinesiology. So I got very involved with that, with him, got to know him well. And uh, John Fee, who developed something called touch for health, and I uh, would communicate with John Fee before. And both of those giants have passed also recently. And uh, uh, a psychiatrist who was originally from Australia, John Diamond, so I spent time with him too. And, and over the time, over the course of time of working with this approach, I uh, um, 
I started to develop my own approach, which I uh, actually different approaches um, have a very long involved name for this one approach. I call it uh, energy diagnostic and treatment methods, which I've shortened to I call it advanced energy psychology. And I developed something called the identity method and something called energy consciousness therapy, which are all kind of integrated, but they're they're segments of the my entire approach. <clears throat> so that's what I was doing. You, you know what I what I found when working with Callahan is that I had a lot of um, issues of my own. I had had traumas in my past. My mother died when I was 12 years old, and and I still had some lingering trauma res- re, uh, concerning that. And and I found that by uh, tuning in different uh, memories that were still distressing to me, if I tapped, uh, I, by tapping I found that um, the distress was no longer there. Well, maybe maybe some of the memories were still sad, which is understandable. I, mean, I don't know that I would want to not feel that, but the extreme distress was relieved uh, very easily. I also had different social anxieties at times, and I found that by tapping those uh, on those uh, stresses, uh, it relieved that. So I, I don't have any trouble uh, talking in front of large groups of people. I've, you know, I've talked to the largest group I ever talked to was uh, 1,300 people. But it's no, um, there's no anxiety about it. And uh, there was a time when that would have been impossible for me. Um, and then I, I started after, actually I started doing this with myself. And then... Uh, you know, I helped family members and friends, and then finally I started uh, using this approach with uh, uh, clients that came to see me. And uh, am I going on too long? <laughs> no, I mean I, it's it's good to understand this. Uh, I do have a few questions for you, though. Um, for, yeah, for yeah. The why, don't, why don't I? Yeah, why don't I stop rather than going into uh, client examples and just uh, All right. hear, your, hear your questions first and. And, and I'd love to hear those later on, yeah, for sure. Sure, sure, um, sure. As far as, uh, is, uh, you know, energy tapping is concerned, can you kind of paint a picture of, uh, well, first of all, uh, kind of how it kind of stemmed from acupuncture? And I really like the story in your book um, about the Chinese warriors and how they kind of stumbled upon acupuncture and then how that kind of uh, turned into, uh, you know, tapping these meridian points. So can you kind of give the listeners a visual understanding of, of what occurs physiologically uh, or within the physiology um, of energy tapping? Well, okay. Um, See, there's these um, what are called meridians, and there's 12 primary meridians. They go by different, uh, uh, by names of different organs in the body, even though they're not uh, limited to the organ. Uh, one example is something called the stomach meridian. And um, there's um, 45 points or acupoints on that meridian. Uh, the first point is directly under the eyes on both sides, uh, on the bony orbits under the eyes. Uh, there's uh, something called the gallbladder meridian. The first point is right at the corner of the eye, ne- near the temple, but just at right the uh, right at the bony orbit there too, on on both the left and the right sides of the eyes, and there's something called the bladder meridian, which is uh, 
uh, one of the uh, first points, well, actually it's the second point, is at the beginning of the eyebrow uh, at the bridge of the nose. Uh, and if you go directly under uh, the eyebrow, uh, close to the eye, is the first point. Anyway, the bladder meridian has 67 points. Uh, um, the, uh, you know, it, it's the longest one. And there's a variety of ones. There's the heart meridian that has nine points, and its first point is um, in the armpit area. And the last point is on the side of the little finger, the tip of the little finger, on the, the side that faces the ring finger. Anyway, so there's these 12 primary meridians, and then there's these uh, what are called collector meridians. Two of the most noted collector meridians are called the governing vessel and the, uh, and the central vessel. And uh, uh, last points on those meridians are under the nose and under the bottom lip. Anyway, okay, so that just gives you a little background on this. Uh, how people came up with it, it goes back thousands of years, probably as much as 5,000 years. The, originally, we thought it was uh, limited to China, but there's evidence that um, of that kind of information, that kind of knowledge being in different areas of the world, uh, being in, in different areas of Europe, and so on, too. So we don't really know how it all began, but if we just trace from uh, China, uh, probably we really should go back to maybe India, the idea developed in India that there was a, an energy system in the body, that we weren't just uh, physical beings, but we were also energetic beings. And, and, that, and that really dovetails well with uh, uh, physics, because physics pretty much holds, you know, if you look at Einstein's theories or, uh, or uh, quantum theory, everything comes down to fundamentally being energy. Even if we could magnify ourselves, you know, uh, you know, this great magnifying glass, we would see that there's a lot of space in our bodies and there's just these pulsating, pulsating energy. And we look solid, uh, but we're not really solid. Uh, everything is pretty much vibrating energy. Uh, and so this idea became clear at some level maybe a mystical level in India. And then that information somehow moved into other areas of the world. <clears throat> and so in, in China, they developed a different ways of dealing with this. Uh, oh, oh, certain ways of, let's say, maintaining your health uh, before you develop an illness would be uh, methods like what we refer to as Qigong, which are certain practices of... Uh, moving the body, moving the energy, um, or, or methods like Tai Chi. I'm sure you're familiar with those, those terms. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but then whenever a disease would develop, some sort of an imbalance in the energy system, one of the ways of treating it was to uh, impinge upon the meridians by using uh, different things like needles, uh, placing needles at specific locations along these meridians to affect balance in the energy system. So there was uh, uh, the idea of a block in the meridian, there are what would they would refer to as stagnant chi. The 
chi is the energy that would move through the meridians. And if there was a blockage, and which could occur for who knows what reasons, uh, there could be varieties of uh, uh, fundamental causes, but the, by putting the needles there or something else called moxibustion, which is uh, uh, something you would... Uh, kind of a cloth or uh, an herb that would be placed at certain locations and uh, heated, uh, lit, and it would uh, send energy into the meridian points. Or they would do things like even tapping on meridian points or putting pressure on them or, or um, a vacuum, uh, various ways of um, uh, getting the energy to flow through the meridians. Uh, putting your hands there and just moving your hands and the practitioner would move the hands in certain directions. And uh, uh, So that's kind of how it begins, but how they discovered it, you know, can't really be sure. I, I tell in the book about, uh, you know, there's different theories about how it developed and one of the ideas was that the uh, uh, maybe uh, warriors were injured, injured in battle and then they discovered that uh, if they got injured at certain locations, problems that they had put, uh, been experiencing, chronic problems, let's say respiratory problems or whatever, would clear up. And, they would, and the physicians started noticing that injuries at certain locations tended to resolve certain uh, conditions. So maybe over time, as you know, a lot of information is gathered as a result of war, unfortunately, but that's, that's the reality. Uh, maybe that's partly how it developed. Or another idea is that there's people who have extraordinary uh, senses where they can actually see the energy flowing or feel the energy flowing. And then they started to develop an understanding uh, of this. And then uh, I joked that another, another idea was that it was really developed by tailors who would accidentally, while they were measuring garments for their clients would accidentally uh, stick a needle in them and then discovered that uh, different conditions were cured in this way. And then eventually that information uh, got transmuted into the medical profession. Who knows? But uh, hmm. there's this idea of these meridians. And, and it seems that, you know, the, the, there's an interesting book, was written by Robert O. Becker called The Body Electric. And uh, he was an orthopedic surgeon. And he, he looked into acupuncture. And what he started finding with a, a device that he and uh, his colleague uh, Maria Reichmanis developed, kind of like a, a pizza cutter thing that would, they would roll along these meridians, and they started discovering that certain points along the meridians had a different electrical resistance as compared to other areas of the skin. And uh, th those correlated very often with acupuncture points. Uh, they probably also correlate with nerves or, you know, but uh, there's even like a device I just learned of recently called the P-STEM. And... Uh, they they do this. Uh, they check the electrical resistance on the ear, and they find different locations on the ear where the resistance is very low. Uh, the resistance being low would suggest that something can go in there, that something from uh, the outside could 
be transmitted into that area. And so that what they do with this P-STEM is they mark out these points with this device that can check out the resistance, the low resistance, and then they put these electrodes on the ear. And then uh, this is, uh, it pulsates uh, subtle electricity uh, through batteries, and uh, it has been found to be effective in treating uh, uh, physical pain, chronic pain, uh, depression, and a variety of things. Now, for a long time, there's there's been a kind of acupuncture, a uh, type of acupuncture, which uh, focuses on the ears. So all the meridians are actually represented on the ears, too. Uh, with PSTEM, they're not talking about meridians. They're talking about nerves, because uh, in our Western culture, um, they're not so keen on the idea of meridians because you, you can't really see meridians in the same way that you see um, blood vessels or nerves. So we have a kind of materialistic um, uh, environment, and uh, so they're always looking for something material that uh, accounts for um, whatever we're doing, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. in the professions, you know. But there's, but this idea of energy is, uh, energy is very real too. Uh, but um, it's easier to look at a uh, vessel of some sort. Anyway, so that's kind of like the background, I think. And uh, so what happened is, um, uh, you know, Callahan, being one of the people who looked at these meridians, uh, as George Goodhart did. But Callahan found that if he uh, had people tap at specific locations, and one example is tap under the eyes, under the arm, and under the collarbone, which are correlate with the stomach, spleen, and kidney meridians, that uh, while a person was focusing on a phobia, it would resolve the phobia. And very often, very, very efficiently, within a few minutes. And uh, it would last. Or, or sometimes you might need a few um, treatments, but the treatments didn't take very long. It wasn't like you had to do this for an hour. You're talking about maybe a five-minute treatment at the most, and the problem is resolved. Hmm. Does, that, does that give you enough background there? Is that what you're asking for? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. A uh, quick question I have is, is the so basically the and I agree with you completely. In, in the West, we kind of only see the you know the physical side of things, the mechanical side of things, if you will. Yeah, um, it's a mechanical but, view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and but having that you know viewpoint of understanding the meridians and and at least uh, you know from from Chinese medicine from their perspective, uh, you know seeing how that plays a role in our health and and you know the energy the qi energy flowing throughout the body. Uh, so as far as qi energy is concerned. Uh, and, and blockages and things like that um, within the meridians and the nervous system or a combination of both. What are what do you think are some of the biggest kind of offenders of of that chi blockage of energy? Well, what causes it? Yeah. Well, well, it, it can be different things. Uh, you know, one one of the things is uh, if you you have a stress in your life and. Um, something happens, and then you have uh, a different view of that. You have a, uh, uh, you know, you, you have a thought about it, a, a belief about it, whatever. And that, 
that consciousness about that, that way of perceiving things will affect the uh, flow of the meridians. Another thing could be um, uh, toxins, something that you consume. Um, and it could be something very subtle, something you wouldn't think of as a toxin. It could be uh, corn or wheat, or which a lot of people in the alternative fields realize uh, this. But it, one man's meat is another man's poison, as they say. So, you know, what you know, corn could be negative to one person, but not to another. Um, other things could be. Uh, uh, that affect the energy flow. It, it could be um, uh, structural. So somebody has a, uh, you know, maybe they bump their head and they uh, it causes a uh, uh, would would be a, um, um, a, a cranial fault is the term. It's like there's these uh, uh, different bones in your head, you know, different plates in a sense, that can get jammed. And that could be a factor. That, that's dealt with by something called uh, um, cranial sacral therapy um, or different uh, osteopathic uh, approaches. So the, there's a variety of things that can cause it. Or, uh, you know, some phobias, for example, seem to be uh, inherited. So there could be a genetic factor involved. You know, uh, um, almost Lamarckian in a sense that uh, although our medical establishment doesn't like the idea of a Lamarckian approach, but uh, it went more toward Darwin. But there seems to be something worth looking at that again, that somehow experiences over time will be can be passed on to other generations. Uh, so any any of those could be factors. Uh, I'm not so concerned about those at times because uh, if you can just get the energy flowing again, uh, you resolve the problem. So what are so the cause is not necessarily. Sometimes it's important to know the cause. Other times that's not so important in terms of what what started it off. The the fundamental cause is that the energy flow is disrupted. And so you just get it flowing again. Or from a neurologic point of view, if we're thinking in terms of the brain, um, which I think is a very important factor also, uh, and let's take something like a trauma. Whenever a person is overwhelmed with a trauma, so you have an experience where it's really you know, a threat to your survival, to your security, and uh, you react with something in our body called the HPA axis or the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. Uh, basically, it's the stress response. And that stress response can be so profound that it gets, uh, you get stuck with it. And uh, structurally, in terms of the brain, uh, not to be too technical, but there's there's an area of the brain called, it's called the amygdala, and it gets activated. It's the fight-flight uh, mechanism in the brain. It's a little almond structure in the midbrain. And when it gets activated, it gets extremely activated. It prevents another area of the brain that processes an event is over and done with as a memory. It, it short-circuits it. That, that other area is called the, the uh, hippocampus. 
And so there will be a, uh, a blockage of energy flow from the amygdala through the uh, hippocampus to record the event is over. Do you follow? Yeah. What I'm getting at there? So th- that's energy too. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so what we do when we're treating a trauma, if we're having tapping on meridian points, we cause the amygdala to settle down, to relax, the en- and the energy flow goes from the amygdala through the hippocampus, and then it becomes recorded as over and done with. And there's a variety of ways to do that. I mean, tapping on meridian points is one way. There are a number of traditional ways that also work for that. Um, but uh, I find energy psychology to be very efficient. Um, mm-hmm. What you just described right there with the uh, hippocampus and amygdala, is that uh, kind of what you talked about as far as the uh, psychological reversal in your book, Energy Tapping? Well, psychological reversal, you know, I, it could be involved with that too. You know, I'm, there's, there's physical aspects of it, but it's all psychological reversal is the idea that, um, you know, let's say you consciously, uh, you would say you want to be, uh, you want to resolve this phobia. So you have a fear of heights. I really want to resolve it, or I really want to quit smoking cigarettes, or I really want to quit using this drug, or, or I'd like to not be depressed anymore. And um, yet everything, <clears throat> there's, a kind of, there's a self-sabotaging that's happening, something that blocks your your conscious intention from being fulfilled. And, um, and that is what a psychological reversal is. Uh, now, we have a way of diagnosing that, <clears throat> besides the fact that the person doesn't seem to get better and they have this chronic condition. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's a way of uh, surmising that a psychological reversal there. But it's, I, I use a muscle testing approach with this, too. And uh, I would have a person do something like this. They... I would, uh, for example, have them hold their arm out and tighten their muscle, and I would press on it, and then I would have them say, I would do a couple preliminary tests. I'd have them say something like, my name is, uh, in your case, you'd say, my name is David, and I would press, and and it would more than likely test strong because it's almost like your muscle saying yes. And then I would have you say something like, my name is Gloria, and then I would press again with the same amount of strength, and more than likely your muscle would go weak, so, like saying, no, I'm not Gloria. Well, then I would have you say, you would think of the uh, phobia, for example, and I would uh, have you say, I want to get over this phobia. And uh, we would expect the muscle to be strong, and in response to the question, I want to continue to have this phobia, we would expect the muscle to be weak. Do you follow that? So it would be like, yep. uh, you know, okay, so now, if the person then, you have them say, I want to get over this phobia, and now they test weak, and I want to continue to have this phobia, and the muscle tests strong, that's the opposite of what we would expect. It's as if uh, there's an unconscious or you know, below consciousness kind of program going on, something that's saying, no, I I don't know about getting over this, you know. And there could be many reasons for not wanting to get over it. It could just fundamentally be the energy is flowing in the opposite direction, okay? It, It is flowing in the opposite direction in the same way that if you had a motor, if you have it plugged in in one way, 
the motor is going to maybe be turning uh, clockwise. And if you reverse the wires, it'll go counterclockwise, right? I mean, it's, right. That's, that's what happens. Well, the same kind of thing happens with us. If the energy is going in the opposite direction, you go away from health and toward illness. And if it's, going, if it's connected right, you go toward health and away from illness. And, um, but you can also look at psychological reversal in terms of brain structure. So I'm giving you the energetic explanation, which would have to do with polarities, which I believe is uh, there's something valid about that. But at the same time, it could be that there's such a stress response uh, in relationship to getting over that particular thing of resolving the depression or whatever. And there can be some uh, issues at the basis of it. It could be a, a deep feeling of not deserving to get over it or... Uh, a deep feeling that it's impossible to get over it, or um, a, a deep feeling of um, I would be unloyal to my family of origin if I got over it. I mean, I know there's some like odd things, but we see that all the time in psychology. Anyway, the correction for those kinds of reversals is not that difficult. Um, we just uh, one, one approach is to tap on them, to find a location in a meridian that will uh, correct it. And very often the correction place, uh, one, one of the most frequent ones, is on the side of the hand, the little finger side of the hand. And a person just taps there while they say something like, even though I have this phobia, I accept myself, or I accept myself with this phobia could be another way of saying it. The various ways you can say that and while they're tapping then you go ahead and you go back to the treatment and you find that the treatment works it starts the, because and how we measure the treatment working is this way uh, if you tune something in that's bothering you so you bring to mind a phobia you bring to mind a <clears throat> an event that happened to you that still bothers you you can feel it you can feel the uh the anxiety, the stress, the uh, depressed feeling, whatever. We, we feel it. We experience it in our bodies. And you can, you can measure it. You can give it a, a number, if you like. Okay? So we use the term subjective units of distress. So I would ask you, <clears throat> if we were treating something, uh, say you had a fear of heights, and I'd say, okay, David, think of your fear of heights. Uh, bring it to mind. Uh, you know, picture something or something that activates that, and you go. And I say, on a scale of zero to ten, how much does that bother you right now when you think about it? And you might say eight, nine, okay. And then I would have, I would take you through these procedures of tapping at specific points that we determine to be useful. And I've outlined a number of those in my book, uh, Energy Tapping. Uh, just some what we call algorithms or little recipes. There's, there's deeper ways of dealing with it where you specifically diagnose an individual. I cover that in my book, Energy Diagnostic and Treatment Methods, but that's, that's generally utilized by professionals. Uh, I wrote books like Energy Tapping and Energy Tapping for Trauma to give the general public also a, a way of doing that without having to learn how to do diagnosis because it's it's much more involved to learn how to do that thing. And actually, even a lot of professionals aren't interested in learning how to do that because it takes, it takes a real commitment to learn how to do muscle testing and, 
and all those uh, diagnostic procedures. But anyway, so I have the person tune in the problem. They measure it. We take them through a tapping procedure. We keep checking at times what's the number now. And eventually, if we're on course, the stress level goes down, 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 and eventually it's a zero. The person thinks about the event. It doesn't bother them. They think about the phobia. It doesn't bother them. Then we test that out in everyday life. So we have them go into a situation where it would be triggered, and lo and behold, we find that they don't have that distress anymore. Or sometimes we have to go into everyday life in a situation and repeat the tapping in that situation until there's no distress. Does that give a pretty good um, sense of how the therapy works? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, in, from from reading your book, uh, you've you know energy tapping is used for trauma, uh, painful experiences, both you know kind of a form of trauma. Uh, even weight loss, addictions, mm-hmm. food cravings. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the different kind of uses and applications for it and how they kind of differ in, in the treatment protocol? Well, there's, okay, there's a general kind of treat. Well, you can approach this in different ways. Uh, sometimes uh, there's a lot of conditions that... Um, uh, or across the board will respond to the same kind of tapping sequence. So we have some comprehensive tapping sequences. I have one I call the midline energy treatment, used to call it negative affect erasing method. Uh, but uh, And it's not described in that book uh, in all detail, but I mean it just lists four points uh, on the forehead at the third eye point under the nose, under the bottom lip center of the chest. Uh, I added a couple other points later on in time, uh, top of the head and back of the head, which I found to be effective uh, with some people. So so use this general approach. Or you can take all the treatment points and just go through tapping them all uh, so you don't have to even think about a specific uh, sequence. However, if we want to be more refined, there's different sequences or clusters of treatment points to tap depending upon the condition. Uh, for example, uh, treating a trauma, uh, one, of, one important point appears to be uh, the bladder point on the eyebrow. And then uh, in the sequence can look like eyebrow, under eye, underarm, under collarbone. Uh, sometimes you add little fingernail and index fingernail to the mix. Phobias, under eye, under arm, under collarbone, or sometimes a variation of that. Uh, Addictive urges have a a different sequence. So all these different sequences are described in the book. There's a depression generally responds to tapping the back of the hand between the little finger and ring finger and uh, alternating that with under the collarbone. So that often treats depression. It also has been useful in treating physical pain conditions. Um, Anger responds to little fingernail under the collarbone. All this has to do with, like, what what tends to be involved with different meridians. For example, the, the heart meridian often is related to issues of anger, but so is the blat or the... Uh, 
the gallbladder meridian and the liver meridian. So there's points on those meridians that could be relevant for treating if somebody has an anger management problem. I I trained a uh, a psychologist who worked in prisons uh, many years ago, and he found that this little treatment that I have where you tap the little fingernail and under the collarbone helped many of the inmates um, settle down in terms of their anger that they they got into less uh, disputes and so on as a result of just doing that. Um, guilt feelings result, re- respond to another sequence. So so that's, does that answer your question, David? Yeah, definitely. Uh, the kind of a follow-up question to that would be uh, in regards to the kind of different treatments, you know, trauma, uh, it, it, it has a, it has a mind-body, there's a mind-body connection there. So, for example, if someone has food cravings or addictions to uh, drugs and alcohol and cigarettes or, you know, kind of has this self-sabotage role playing over and over and over and again in their life, there's some sort of energy blockage or trauma kind of stored within the body in a specific area uh, that uh, energy tapping helps to release. So yes. can you can you kind of... Uh, paint a picture, a a sort of like net tangible benefit of what happens when this energy is released and that chi can flow throughout the body again uh, with maybe a story or two or kind of an example of that. Okay. Okay. I'll give you an example of, uh, uh, let me use, let me use an example from my own life. Okay. It's one of the earlier things I did. I, um, I discovered that, uh, uh, there was something with the house I was living in. There was a blocked, uh, uh, you know, like a, you know, downspout, and so water would flow over the roof. And so I wanted to go up there and check the uh, gutters. And uh, it was a very high house, very like an English or a salt box. So it had a, it was very flat in the in the front. And so I had to put a ladder up there, and it was kind of up there, about 30 feet. And uh, so I started walking up the ladder, and I realized after I got up about five feet that I felt all this anxiety about being on the ladder. So I thought, okay, let me let me try this. So I, I tapped under my eye, under my arm, under my collarbone, did it a few times, and then I felt, I felt no anxiety when I was at five feet. So then I went up a little further. And then I felt anxiety again when I was up about 10 feet. So I tapped again. And, uh, you know, a few times of tapping, and then I noticed that I didn't feel anxiety about being at that level. And I kept doing that until I was all the way up at the top of the ladder. And I'm looking out, I felt absolutely no anxiety. I, feel, I realized that, you know, there were still, you had to be careful. It didn't make me stupid. But uh, I, felt, I felt no anxiety, you know. Okay. And I thought, wow, this is great, you know. So, so then I, I uh, you know, I checked the gutters, and I saw, lo and behold, there was nothing in the gutters. <laughs> so I don't know what was what was causing the problem. So then I, I came down the ladder, and then I, uh, I, I went up the ladder again. You know, I just wanted to check this again. So I went all the way up, and I looked down, and I thought, no anxiety. And then I realized something. It was an interesting thing, and I had totally forgotten this. When I was a teenager, 
maybe around, I don't know, 15 or 16, I was um, uh, painting our house. And there was this one point where I was up on the ladder, and the ladder started to slip. And I had to run down the ladder as it slid all the way across the house, okay, and marked up the area that I had already painted. And uh, so then I had to correct that. And I remember I was... uh, when I was finishing painting the house, a lot of the areas where I, I made myself do it, but I felt this ongoing anxiety. And I, I think it was related to the the event of having to run down there and realizing that I could have fallen off this ladder. And, uh, you know, just by luck, I was able to get down in time before I fell. So it's, it's funny that that just came to my mind after I had resolved the uh, the, the fear of being on the ladder. So that, that's an example of something with myself. So what it does is it's like the, the anxiety. There's an anxiety. It's a stress response, and it neutralizes the stress response hmm. by tapping on meridian points. So it's, uh, it's, you can say it causes the chi to flow through the body in a, a better pathway, you know, more, more efficiently, but it also impinges on uh, other things like what's going on glandularly uh, brain wise you know throughout the body it's a mind body uh, treatment is what it is Uh, another example I had a lady that had come to see me way back before I knew about this and she had had a situation where she was raped when she was 13 she was raped by a 19-year-old. And she never told her family about it because she was out with this guy, and she shouldn't have been out with him. The family didn't allow that. And uh, they had been drinking, too. And Anyway, so she, she has this, uh, after this rape, as time went on, she developed a number of problems in her life. She was depressed a lot. Uh, in terms of diagnosis, you could say she had a major depressive disorder. Some people would say she had a, what's called a bipolar disorder. Uh, she had she was addicted to uh, pain medications, even though she didn't have a pain. Well, she did have a sort of pain problem. She she would have frequent migraines. Anyway, she would at times become suicidal. And the first time I saw her, she was in the hospital, and they called me in to come to see her. And uh, so then I, I worked with her. This is, again, pre-energy psychology, pre-energy tapping. And I, we developed a good relationship, and I was able to help her in a way, but I always felt that the trauma of having been raped was very important, and if that could only be resolved. And I would try to help her resolve it at a time by, you know, traditional ways, talking about it, trying to change her perception about it by you know logically looking at it it's you know it's over and done with that that's not going on now and all these things that we know but it doesn't seem to really create a change uh anyway she was coming along i had her involved in a 12-step program you know and she was managing her addiction to alcohol and drugs better but not really cured more coping would be the right term for it. So we we uh, we have a break in therapy, and it was during that time that I started finding out about Callahan's work and 
I'm studying this, and I had already treated myself for different things and, and family members. And she comes into therapy, comes back to therapy because she's upset about she was upset about something in her relationship with her mother, and very upset. And she's something that had happened at some sort of sporting event that they were spectators at. And uh, I just told her, I'll say her name is Barbara. And, uh, and I said, Barbara, I said, you know, since I've seen you last, I've been doing something different. I'd like to try this with you to see if it helps you with this issue about your mother. So I had her tapping. And after, oh, you know, two, three minutes, she says, oh, I don't know why that bothered me at all. She said, you know, that's just the way my mother is. You know, she means well. It was a big, it was an immediate shift in her perception about her mother. Now, that's very dramatic because in my experience, what you usually did, what I was doing at the time, is I would try to talk people out of their way of thinking about things, try to dispute the logic of something cognitive therapy. And it's a lot of work because it, um, because people are, it, it really doesn't impact the emotion efficiently. It can over time, it, it, it can be effective, um, but it's it's a lot, a lot of work. It's very difficult. Anyway, so after I see this change, I said, you know, Barbara, whenever you came to see me before, you, there was this thing that happened to you when you were 13. And it's, all, that's all I had to say, and she started crying. So I helped her settle down first, and then I asked her if it would be okay if we used the same kind of treatment with that. And she agreed. So I had her go back to thinking about it, and when we did this tapping, I had to guide her through the tapping because at times it, it was hard for her to focus on it because she would get lost in the memory, sort of trapped in the memory as if it's now. And, it, and the treatment took about 8 to 10 minutes, and then she was totally calm. And I, I remember I asked her, I says, how do you feel? You know, I thought maybe she was dissociated. And she said, oh, I'm fine. I said, yeah, but I mean about what happened to you. And she said, oh, yeah, that was a long time ago. Huh. And I said, but but you were just a few minutes ago. You were distressed about it. She goes, yeah, I know. I said, and then I thought I'd really, really challenge this because one of the things she would say is that she was to blame. She would, you know, which is not unusual for people that have been traumatized. They'll... They'll, they'll see themselves as some way to blame for what happened or that they shouldn't have survived or whatever. They have a, um, it's just an odd thing because you, you look at it and you go, my God, you know, you didn't cause that. And yet they, they don't get it, you know, they, because the emotional charge is so strong or the stagnant chi, it's so blocked. Anyway, so I, I thought I'd test it and it kind of hurt me to say this. This was hard to say, but I, I just couldn't believe how quickly this had resolved. So I said, in a, and I said it in an accusing tone, okay? And uh, I said, don't you think you were to blame? You know, just accusing tone. <laughs> and she just looks at me, she goes, no, nah, I don't think so. She says, if anything, he was to blame, but that was a long time ago. And here she was in, she was in her 30s, early 30s, so mid-30s, whenever we did this treatment, so it was like, uh, you know, 20 years ago that the thing had happened to her. It never bothered her again, never. It, uh, it, was, it was totally resolved.
with that few minutes of tapping. And then all these other changes started happening for her. I found that we could easily uh, treat her addictive urges when she had a, uh, a desire for a, uh, uh, to use a drug. I would take her through tapping, which would neutralize the urge. I, helped, I showed her how to treat herself for a reversal because we can get reversed at times, and then we don't even want to tap when we get reversed. So I, I helped her deal with that. She, uh, interesting thing that happened in her life. She was a phlebotomist at the time, which is somebody who draws blood in the hospital. Uh, she got very interested in psychology, which is not unusual whenever you're getting a benefit from therapy. So she went on. She got her bachelor's degree in psychology. Then she went on and got a master's degree in social work, and she became a psychotherapist. Um, I had another patient who was um, an awful thing for her. She was uh, sexually abused repeatedly by her stepfather from ages 7 to 18. And um, uh, she was so... um, you know, and it happened so early in life that that's a very difficult kind of trauma to treat. So we had had, I, I treated her for a number of years until I discovered this uh, energy tapping approach. And then we started tapping on these different things that would, uh, the, the different traumatic memories. We started to resolve those. She, uh, here is another similar example. She, uh, we, we get done with therapy and she moved away from the area. She went, on, she went to school, became a, a clinical psychologist, and worked with children who were sexually abused. So it's kind of like she, you know, she harvested the learnings uh, to help others, you know, to make a contribution to others. And, and I right. could go on with one story after another of people that have been helped by this kind of an approach very efficiently. But you, but you know, it's, uh, there's a certain amount you can do self-help, and that's why I wrote the books, you know, Energy Tapping and Energy Tapping for Trauma. But uh, very often you need the help of a therapist who's really been trained in detail with this. I'm a pioneer in this, so I... You know, I had to learn a lot by trial and error, but I go around the world and I train therapists in how to use this approach. Uh, you know, I train them in Canada, sometimes in the United States, but many places in Europe and so on, and my books have been translated. Uh, I have a listing of um, therapists who have been trained in this approach. If, if anybody wants to go to my website, www.energypsych.com and there's if you look under practitioners you'll see practitioners in different parts of the world that practice this approach but you know for for certain things certain issues it's worth reading the book energy tapping and energy tapping for trauma and utilizing these to to do things like settle addictive urges uh, resolve traumas uh, treat feelings of depression anxiety uh, and so on and, uh, you know, I, I get, you know, emails all the time from people that have successfully treated themselves for different kinds of things. Since I started writing these books, though, other people have, you know, everybody jumps on the bandwagon, so there's other people out there writing their books and developing their methods and so on, mm-hmm. which is fine because it's other ways of spreading it, you know, spreading, uh, spreading the good word, the good news. Right. One thing that I 
I like about it personally is that it's a, it's a practice that you can kind of learn to integrate in your own life. And it, you know, once you learn that practice, it's not it's not an ongoing, you know, uh, pill or you know whatever it may be type of type of deal. So um, it's a it's a good thing to just know and to use in certain situations. Uh, like for example, the story you shared uh, of climbing the ladder, or uh, another. Uh, and if you could speak on this a little bit, uh, you talked a bit in your book about using energy tapping for uh, kind of peak for peak performance and. Um, you know, kind of, I guess partially kind of overcoming the anxiety and whatnot, but uh, peak performance and then also kind of, uh, you talked about visual, visualization a bit as well. Do you recommend people kind of visualize their desired outcome uh, oh, yes. while energy tapping? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, what I find is like if you have an area where you feel limitation, uh, so you find that you can get so far with it, but you're I don't care who it is. If it's, uh, I'm sure that uh, Tiger Woods has at times been blocked. I mean, and we've seen that in his history, where he, uh, you know, he's doing well and then he has a setback. It's like, you know, it could be that there's a reversal at that time. Um, so you you treat for reversal. Very often in peak performance area, the reversal is uh, uh, this issue. It's like. Uh, uh, it's not simply treated with, even though I have this problem, I, I accept myself. It would be, even if I never get over this problem, even if I never perform at a peak level, I accept myself. Because that, that's often the blockage. There can, there can be other ones, but that's, that's a very typical one. And then, and then they go ahead and tap on this issue of the, the anxiety of not succeeding. And, and then, after they get done doing that, then I'd like the person to put a, uh, bring a visualization in of how they, uh, of seeing themselves performing in this peak way. So they, they picture themselves, let's say, hitting a wonderful drive or, uh, or they're you know, up in front of a group singing or whatever, whatever the peak performance area is. And while they're doing that, very often I, I just have them do this. If they tap on the back of the hand between little finger and ring finger while they're tapping there, and, you know, they, they tap there while they're visualizing, I mean. And I would ask them, I would say, let's reverse the scale. If zero is you don't believe it at all, that it doesn't feel congruent at all, and 10 is you absolutely feel it's congruent, uh, what level are you at? And very often they'll say when the anxiety settled, they might say, well, maybe a five. I say, okay, let, let, why don't we elevate that further? So while they're tapping on the back of the hand, they keep running the image through their mind or, or telling themselves or whatever way they want to do it because you can install a belief in any of those ways or a combination. And I have them, if it's visual though, I have them imagine themselves out there so they see themselves out there doing this particular thing until it feels like yeah i can do it you know and then i ha then i'll have them do another little shift i'll say now step into the image as if you're seeing what you would be seeing if you were doing that like uh, if you were watching yourself putting that's one thing and then you step into it where all you're doing is you you get a sense of your standing on the green you have the club in your hand, you have the putter in your hand, you're looking at the hole, and then you're putting, and you see the ball just going and dropping into the hole. So you 
it's a disassociated position first and then an associated position second while they're tapping and then they until they feel like it's uh, eight nine ten somewhere in that range so that adds another finishing touch to it do you follow it's like first right. you settle the stress then you build in the confidence then you build in the conviction because mm-hmm. we're informed by our beliefs you know if, if you if you really deeply believe that you uh that you won't succeed at something uh you you're you're impairing your ability to succeed at it it's like uh henry ford said if you believe you can or you believe you can't you're right and uh th- that's the kind of idea so if we have a deep enough belief and a belief is is a thought but with a strong emotional charge to it it feels real it feels and you, you can reference it by past experiences and whatever but it's really made up it's uh, you know whatever you, whatever you if you have a limiting belief about yourself it's now i mean there's some things that are obvious you know like i'm 5 foot 8 my chances of being a great basketball player at my age and everything is that's unlikely so there's certain things that are within reason but if you have the necessary equipment whatever it is physically and so on or the necessary intelligence then the only thing that's blocking you is your belief that you can't and so that's another way of utilizing energy tapping Mm-hmm. But it you know it isn't it isn't totally removed from other understandings though like it's uh it's standing on the shoulders of uh, other things that we know in the field of psychology and self-help and you know uh, uh you know human advancement and so on but it mm-hmm. brings in this brings in this extra dimension that makes it work efficiently we get it uh, we you know a lot of times in, in in therapeutic approaches and peak performance approaches, it's it's a, a, it's a lot of like maybe talking and trying to figure things out, and, and that's fine. But then uh, it doesn't necessarily work uh, consistently or efficiently. When you bring in the body in, in the whole mix, and tapping is one way of bringing the body in. Uh, that accelerates the results. You know, now another thing too, by the way, some people find it uncomfortable to tap on on these points. Another way I find that works very well too is to just place your finger on the points and take a deep breath. So that's another way of doing it. And then after you get good enough at it, you know, it's funny. I learned this a number of years ago. Clients would come in and say to me, you know. Uh, I don't even have to tap anymore. If I just think about it, it works. And I said, what do, what do you mean you just think about it? And they said, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, I just think about it. I said, well, what, do you mean you kind of imagine that you're tapping on the points? And someone said, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I kind of like imagine I'm doing it. Or I, I kind of imagine, you know, if I, I kind of direct my attention to those locations. And then I started experimenting with that with myself and others, and I found that that worked too. But mm-hmm. you know, each person has a, uh, a you know, the, the, um, 
a way that works better for them than others. Okay, so some people really respond well to the tapping. Others respond really well to just holding the points and taking a deep breath. Others, uh, I've had people tap on a doll, looking at a doll, tapping on those points, and that's worked for them too because it's almost like uh, if somebody yawns in a bus and then everybody else yawns too, you know. So you're... You identify with the doll, and that's very nice with children. I'll have children do that sort of thing, and, uh-huh. uh, and they'll get an effect that way too. And usually I don't tap on the person, uh, but uh, when I treat couples, if I have couples that are having some you know, relationship issue, and I, I teach a course, one of the courses I teach, I call it the Amazing Couples Course, and I, I combine energy uh, techniques in uh, treating couples that works much more efficiently than usual ways of you of doing couples therapy. But I'll have the couples tap on each other, you know, and because it, it promotes more of the relationship, the interaction between the two of them. Sometimes you have to wait a bit before you have them do that because if they're tapping on each other, might be punching each other. You know, I don't want to <laughs> get into that. But uh, once the, once <laughs> once they're ready, you know, sometimes just having them tap on each other can be a very useful thing. Or having them sense the energy of each other's bodies. You know, you can feel right. that too. We have we have a biofield that extends out, and they can. They can sense that. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things we can do with energy to help people. Mm-hmm. Very cool. One thing I'd like to uh, mention too to the listeners: I actually uh, saw the film uh, The Tapping Point uh, just mm-hmm. yesterday, and it's kind of funny because I was like, the time it, they have a free screening going on right now, and I was like, you know, I wonder if uh, you know, wonder how this is similar or related. And then, and then you were in the film. I was like, oh, I'm interviewing them tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess that uh, kind of uh, explains that, but um, so I'd encourage listeners. I'll I'll put that in as well because there's some stories within that film that are that are great for um, you know just kind of understanding the methodology and, and kind of hearing different stories and different perspectives on it. Uh, I have I have a, a final question for you. Uh, the work that I'm doing uh, with this podcast is to really inspire people to uh, live healthier, more balanced. Uh, kind of holistic lives and integrating their mind, body, and spirit and understanding kind of the balance and integration of those things within their life. Uh, so would you kind of have any tips uh, kind of in any of those areas, mind, body, or spirit, uh, that you would kind of leave with the listener today? Hmm. Well, let me see here. Well, you know, what I find, you know, when, when people tap, for example, they often move to a higher spiritual level uh, by doing that. When you get disengaged from something that's stressing you, and you 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 relieve the stress of it, you, you're you're also stepping out of ego, because uh, that's a lot of. Uh, you think of ego as like. Uh, you know, you're experiencing danger, and you've got to protect yourself, and you're you're separating yourself from others, and so on. And whenever you relieve stress by doing something such as tapping, uh, you f- you feel more connected with others. You feel more more at peace, more uh, more loving. You you get more. Uh, I find that our our default setting is more of uh, you know love, joy 
gratitude, those kinds of deeper feelings. And when you relieve the stress of the, you know, depression, anger, fears, you you move more toward that. So um, that's one of the things that occurs to me that would be relevant in in, in this. Um, the, the great perspective. Yeah, it's a great way yeah, of looking check, at it. For sure. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you shift your perspective to a higher level, more spiritual, mm-hmm. um, which is what we really are. You know, in, a, in the deepest level, we're. I think we're. I believe we're spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and you know, my, you know, there's lots of practices that support that mindfulness. Uh, I integrate mindfulness in tapping now. Like one of my latest things is I I call it mindfulness-based energy psychology. And I teach uh, my clients and uh, professionals that I train how to apply mindfulness in conjunction with tapping. It's like, uh, here's an important point. If you tap on something and you're too caught up in the idea of I have to get rid of it, I have to get rid of the problem. That uh, interferes with resolving it. The the better way to do it is to observe the the state, the issue, and just observe it while you're tapping. And the tapping helps you to step back from it more mindfully and then uh, disengage from it, kind of release it, let it go. And uh, rather than get rid of it, rather than fight it, because the more you resist something, the more it persists. And uh, you know, that's one of the, it's, it's like using the old uh, that little what is it, the Chinese or Japanese finger handcuffs, and you have your fingers in it, and then you keep pulling, resisting, trying to get out of it. And the more you try to get out of it, the more you get trapped. And, and the solution is to just relax and push forward, and then slide your fingers out or if you think of like uh, judo it's the same sort of thing you know you, you don't fight force with force you just you become a pivot so there's a kind of a martial arts in a sense uh, of this work so uh, that brings people to a little higher level if you, if you find that when you're tapping it's not going away maybe you're too caught up in trying to make it go away rather than just observe it, be more mindful, more judge, non-judgmental about it. Anyway, those hmm. are the few few other things I want to offer you there. Because <clears throat> I don't see everybody awesome. in the field seeing that. I, I think that's an important uh, thing I'm trying to move people to understand. And, mm-hmm. uh, hey, it's yeah, been great talking to you, David. Yeah, that, that, thank you very much for sharing. It's very valuable, and I think that perspective of, of kind of uh, getting past your ego and kind of fine-tuning the energy within your body really does connect you to your truest self at a higher level, whereas if you had those energy blockages, it doesn't, it doesn't really allow you to kind of reconnect and, 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 and kind of find that connection again. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that with us today. Uh, for, for, for all the listeners listening, uh, some of the listeners listen, you know, in their car, on their iPod at the gym. Uh, what are your uh, websites? Where can they find you online? Yeah, you can go to www. 
Energy Psych, that's E-N-E-R-G-Y-P-S-Y-C-H dot com. And if any of the listeners want to, um, I have a, um, a newsletter that I send out at times. It isn't every month, but it's, you know, I don't inundate you with it, but I'll, uh, the newsletter, I, it's, you know, a constant contact uh, newsletter, and it, uh, it lets people, you know, I, sometimes I write an article that uh, uh, will be of interest to people, or I let people know about some seminar that I'm doing and uh, where that's going to be. And um, So if they're interested, they can write to me, and uh, we'll put them on the list. Uh, and the address is fgallo at energypsych.com. Again, E-N-E-R-G-Y-P-S-Y-C-H. And they can visit my, if you visit my website, you can, um, there's uh, some readings there, you know, some articles. There's a list where uh, seminars are being offered by myself as well as uh, trainers that I've authorized. Um, uh, there's information about my books and uh, and so on. Awesome. So uh, I invite people to uh, get involved. Great. And, and for all the listeners, too, I'll, I'll link up his website uh, as well as all of his books uh, on my website as well within this interview post so you can see those as well. Uh, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. You too, David. Thanks a lot, and thanks to all the listeners out there. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And we'll wrap the show with that, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. If you have a few minutes, please take the time to go to iTunes and search Healthy, Wild, and Free in the search box. And when you do that, my podcast will show up, and you just click on that and then click subscribe. And then every new episode you'll be updated with within iTunes so you can download them to your phone, your iPod, or just listen to them on your tablet or computer. Uh, Also, while you're there, if you could please leave me a review in iTunes, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, The more reviews I get, the more feedback I get, the better I understand uh, what you like, what you don't like about the podcast. uh, And it it helps me provide uh, better guests and better content for future episodes. So if you could leave a review, it helps me understand what you are uh, looking for further, and it also helps me reach more people with this message of health and wellness. So thanks a lot for your time. We'll see you on healthywildandfree.com and uh, in the next podcast episode. Take care.